0: standard of paranormal radio and now here's
1: gene steinberg so every time of course these days that we have a connection with guests sometimes something what's erupted now of course is that our special guest chris rudkowski is recovering from a bit of a sore throat so if he sounds froggy if he sounds disconnected then that will be his fault no, it's not his fault. It's Kirk Collins' fault.
2: It's me. What did I do? But, you know, on the other hand, he's
1: got a great excuse.
2: So any question he doesn't want to answer, it's like, oh, my throne. Yeah, and
3: I sound like Gravel Gertie today. That sounds perfect.
1: But think of it this way. Politicians have been perfecting that argument.
3: That's true. That's absolutely true. Yeah. So we'll see how long uh, my voice lasts with this thing today.
1: Well, we'll keep you going there, and if we have to do frequent breaks, the listeners will never hear it. Actually, years ago, I had a guest on who was very ill, and I won't mention his name, and I had to basically edit out 30, 40 coughs per segment. And, you know, kind of sad, but he came across very well when he we got rid of the coughing. But the, the reverse picture is, on one episode of the PowerCast, that shall not be named because I don't think you'll know, I had to redo all my parts and the reason is there was something weird about the setup where it didn't pick up my mic properly see nobody cares
3: that was the uh, the loud applause that you were you're hearing there
1: but that's the normal applause i get which is total silence yeah. yeah anyway we're always happy to have chris on the show because there are so many things to talk about and obviously being one of the foremost people in canadian ufology There are a lot of things to discuss, but I'm going to ask you both, you and our special guest co-host, Kurt Collins, the same question, which has nothing to do with what we plan to talk about. And that is, over the years, we've had discussions about Skinwalker Ranch, of course, and the alleged mysteries there. And last week with Erica Lukes, don't know, Kurt, if you heard the episode yet, Erica said it's a bunch of bunk. Either of you guys have a stand on Skinwalker Ranch, Chris?
3: Well, I've never been out there, but uh, I've talked with uh, MJ Benias quite a bit. He was—he has been out there, and even he admitted to me that nothing happened when he was out there, and he thought that it's more the atmosphere rather than anything else. So I, I lean in the direction that there's probably not much going on there any different than anywhere else, whether it's bunk, and that is to say that people are hyping it for their own purposes or whatever, I, I can't say that, but I, I suspect that uh, there's nothing particularly unusual about Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, I've certainly listened to enough people describe what's going on there, uh, read some of the, the books and materials about it, but the overarching thing is that sometimes uh, things do not happen when they're supposed to happen, and sometimes things happen when nothing's supposed to happen. You know, I don't see it as a as a window or a dimensional portal or anything like that. I think it's just an interesting location, you know, where it is there in in the sort of mid-upper Pacific West or whatever. You know, there's there's military bases out there and uh, uh, the area has a long history of all sorts of traditions. So I suspect if you Convince yourself that something's going to happen out there. It's going to happen. And uh, if you're uh, uh, somebody who doesn't believe in that sort of stuff, then you might as well just go for a a walk uh, down uh, Main Street. So uh, uh, my opinion is that it's nothing particularly special. I remain to be convinced.
1: What about portal areas in general? Do you think there's specific locations around the world that seem to have an unusually high incidence (coughs) of paranormal encounters?
3: not that I've seen. I know that there was a, a fellow who was trying to use Bruce Cathy's um, grid system and he was trying to say that there is a place up uh, here in, in Canada near a place called Manigatagan that according to all the calculations, and he showed me all the great calculations, he was a regular Hal Putoff, and that he said that there's definitely a portal in this particular area, but you know, there, that area didn't really have much happening. In fact, it was quiescent compared to so many other places uh, across the province. So uh, I suspect that there there really isn't much to the whole portal idea.
1: Kurt Collins, what do you think about Skinwalker Ranch?
3: Well, I'm, I'm even less
2: less connected than Chris is, but the, the impression that I get is that we, we essentially have, a, instead of a, a haunted house. We have a haunted ranch, and we had a billionaire buy it for that reason. That there were strange things supposed to happen. He'd been told stories. He believed it, and he hires a team of people to go out and report on strange things. And they go in with a certain attitude, and you know, essentially. And you know, we've got a television show about it, which is pretty much operating on the same premise, and it's it's similar to the the ghost, the haunted house shows. Um, some of the same equipment, and I'm not sure if the you know, Robert Bigelow, being the owner, his you know people, his employees are trying to please him. You know that that's one thing, or but I think expectations do play into it, and and we're we're told again and again. There's all these these um, these stories. They have this these mountains of evidence, but all we're really getting are these secondhand reports, and
3: and not just data that proves anything mm. yeah i think that's a good way of putting it it's uh, the haunted house analogy that's uh, that's a really good way of putting it
1: well i think we should point out that bigelow no longer owns the property now i would notice here one thing which kind of upset me a little bit about bigelow and he seems to me like he's possibly a perfectly sincere person but they mention the fact that he owns budget suites. And few people say this is a low-end, extended-stay hotel <laughs> chain. And the reviews of those properties aren't that high.
3: Well, I mean, that's how he made his money was in hotels originally, as I understand it. So, um, uh, hey, you got to pay the bill somehow,
1: I suppose. Yeah, sometimes you wonder maybe if you're getting that kind of review, upgrade the properties. <laughs> but what do i know about hotels i know having stayed in them i know during a period of time we were between apartments we stayed in motels and we ran into some perfectly awful places and i won't mention who and what they are but some perfectly awful places so i understand if you want to save a few dollars and hotels are very expensive now that's what you have no choice anyway Away from portal areas and Skinwalker Ranch, on to the folks up north for me in Canada. Now, one thing that's been pointed out to me that you can expand on, this we can take through for a while, how in terms of ufology, Canada has been at the forefront in many areas. Please tell us why.
3: Well, you know, Gene, uh, Canada is in there like a dirty sock when it comes to uh, ufology. Um, Canada has been uh, involved from the very beginning with various uh, aspects. Um, certainly uh, early days, 1947-48, uh, uh, the United States had a number of uh, air bases uh, in eastern Canada, and sure enough, that's where some of the, the first UFO reports or flying saucer reports are coming from. In fact, one of the first flying saucer photographs uh, came out of, uh, out of Newfoundland, and, uh, I know ever since then, uh, Canada and the United States have had a very close association certainly Canada and the United States are partners in NORAD, North American defense. Um, and as part of that, we do know that NORAD does track UFOs and, um, uh, because of that, that uh, you know, there is a uh, you know, there are reports that come in through Canada into the United States and from the United States into Canada. So um, the, the the association um, uh, between Canada and United States is is you know uh, very much intertwined. And uh, you know, uh, over the next little while, we can we can go into some of the the finer details. I mean, um, Stan Friedman did most of his UFO work in Canada. He was in Canada for quite a number of decades. He had moved from the United States uh, to uh, uh, to Canada to New Brunswick.
1: Let's do our break here, guys. We have Chris Rutkowski. We have Kirk Collins. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. the Plus. to learn more
4: about Paracast Plus. Here's a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they'd be? Answer, they're probably among the millions of Americans who have prepared themselves with emergency food storage from my Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with empty store shelves. Is yours? If not... Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for each member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order will ship fast and arrive discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen... This is something you need to jump on now, before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. MyPatriotSupply.com.
5: GCN's policy is open forum avoiding censorship. Defense costs for words spoken outside of our control supersede the ability to deliver voices to this important talk platform. The First Amendment is the foundation of our core values. Castle culture is silencing voices regardless of perspective. Freedom to speak is in the balance. Support the legitimacy of speech itself. Consider donating to savegcn.com. Let's savegcn.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: So Chris is talking about the advances in Canadian ufology, mentioning, for example, that the late Stan Friedman, move from the U.S. to Canada. Let's pick up from there.
3: Sure, Stanton Friedman did most of his uh, UFO work in Canada. The last uh, several decades uh, of his life uh, were here in Canada, in New Brunswick. Uh, he, he had moved to Fredericton to be uh, uh, closer with his wife's family. And, I mean, he certainly traveled uh, all around uh, North America and around the world uh, from North America. In fact, he used to be moan when he was popping in to see me and I, when I went to see him. That traveling from Fredericton, New Brunswick, to anywhere by airplane was quite a problem, and it, it involved several stops and uh, milk runs and things like that. So he he certainly uh, you know had had a, a lot of flying in and out of a small place in, in Canada, but it was what he uh, wanted to do and uh, he you, you know certainly made his impression on, on ufology in so many other ways. but so many other people uh, in ufology have Canadian connections. Certainly Betty and Barney Hill, for example, everybody knows the story of Betty and Barney Hill and their, their UFO encounter. Well, where were they coming home from? Montreal, Canada. <laughs> and so there's a definite Canadian connection there. And uh, speaking of that, uh, Whitley Strieber, he, in one of his books, The Key, which is not very well known, but is very instrumental in uh, uh, describing his uh, his, uh, his studies and, and discussions of UFOs, uh, everything that happened in the book, The Key, took place in Canada. So, you know, you could just go on and on and on by, you know, naming various individuals who have been involved in Canada in uh, ufology uh in one form or another uh and uh you know he's uh, these are certainly some of the the people who have been involved one of the things you're
2: known for is the canadian
3: ufo survey that's
2: released every year and you wrote a you wrote a book i believe with uh, jeff ditman the uh, canadian ufo report and so tell our listeners what that book was about and how much of it was historical versus based on
3: reports well, I mean, Canadian UFO Report—the uh, book. Jeff uh, and I took it upon ourselves. We had been doing uh, the survey for a number of years. We started in 1989, doing a sort of a snapshot of all the UFO reports that had been uh, filed in Canada. We had been urged to, you know, to put some of it down uh, on paper, and so we produced the uh, the Canadian UFO Report as a book. Uh, it covered. Sort of a historical survey of reports in Canada. Some of the classic sightings, uh, everything from the Shag Harbor UFO crash that is becoming more well-known to the Falcon Lake uh, incident that uh, I'm little, people are knowing a little bit more about it. But we covered many other cases in there, and a lot of the cases came either directly from uh, reports that had been filed, but uh, we certainly drew a lot on uh, official documents that, that we had found in uh, the Canadian National Archives, Uh, Library and Archives Canada uh, was the repository for UFO reports from uh, the 1940s up until the present. Before the library was actually starting to do that, the reports were filed with the Royal Canadian Air Force, uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, a number of other institutions, and they uh, eventually transferred their documents and files over to the National Archives. And so we had an, an excellent uh, source of data to draw on right from the 1940s at the, begin, the beginning of ufology, uh, to then the present time. I think the, the book came out, uh, just before the turn of the, uh, the millennium. Uh, and, uh, so there was a lot of cases in there that people weren't aware of, and, uh, you know, we wanted to tell, uh, the the side of the story that most people didn't know, that that Canada ha- was very well represented in terms of uh, UFOs nationally and, and now internationally, uh, some cases that uh, were really quite astounding.
2: So as far as the, the reports that you're receiving on, a, on an annual basis, can you tell us a little bit about the sources that you draw from and the um how the reports have changed since, um, say the classic days of the flying saucer reports, you know, what are the, what are the trends? Right.
3: Well, uh, you know, I've mentioned this a couple of times, uh, in this forum and others that, um, you know, I started investigating UFOs back in the seventies because I'm very, very old, uh, not like Gene, you know, spring chicken, but, um, I, uh, I had uh, been investigating, uh, and then I had um, started uh, at university uh, to get my uh, bachelor's degree. I took a a lot of astronomy courses, ended up uh, majoring in astronomy, and uh, then uh, I went on for my master's in education, specifically science education, uh, so that I'm now a science educator and a science writer, Uh, but along the way... Um, I had taken an interest in UFOs because it was one of those things that was all gee whiz and wouldn't it be great if, and people are always asking me, you're an astronomer, is there real life out there? And um, people were reporting UFOs to the astronomy department and my professors were not all that crazy about uh, the subject. It was really annoying because everybody knew that UFOs were nonsense uh, to them. So uh, what are they going to do about it? And I suggest, well, you can just, you know tell them to talk to me I'll I'll take them uh, the phone calls for you and I ended up talking with literally hundreds and hundreds of, uh, and hundreds of people who had been seeing things in the sky and simply wanted a a friendly ear uh, to, uh, to you know who would listen uh, to them so the, um, over the years I ended up uh, you know writing writing about what I had heard um and then in about um the early 1990s i had been um uh, in Ottawa uh, at the national research council um for uh, for you know for for a couple of meetings um and you have to understand the national research council of canada was where uh, there was an active ufo Investigation program, what what most people would like to have had happening in, uh, in the United States um, from uh, the 1960s to about 1991, uh, 92, and then up to about 1995, um, the National Research Council of Canada was getting UFO reports from people in Canada. Uh, from pilots, from uh, academics, from scholars, from the average citizen, from farmers, from butcher bakers, candlestick makers, and so forth. Um, and they were investigating some of them. Not very many, it turns out, but they are investigating some of them. And the Royal Canadian Mounted Police were facilitating this by, uh, you know, having like, detachments all across the country uh, that if somebody saw something in Saskatchewan, uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police uh, detachment there would investigate and send the report into Ottawa, and Ottawa would therefore have the reports. And these reports um, were made public um Uh, in a sort of a way in the sense that they were deposited in the National Library. And um, uh, up until about 20 years ago, you had to go down to uh, Ottawa and look in the National Library yourself physically to look through the reports. Um, But uh, about 20 years ago, the National Library decided that it was going to digitize uh, significant portions of various collections, and one of the collections that they decided to digitize was the UFO uh, reports. And so they did, somewhere around 9,000 uh, pages of documents were digitized and uh, were made available.
1: Let's do our uh, break here. More about that with Chris Curtin, Gene. You're in the Paracast. Yeah!
9: Hi, I'm Al Abaroa, founder of Knight Strategic Wealth. Inflation is picking up, markets are volatile, and the dream of a comfortable retirement is harder to attain than ever before. Nobody wants to run out of money in retirement. That's why I'm going to share something that your financial advisor doesn't want you to know. With our investment strategy, when the stock market goes up, you earn a market-linked return that locks in every year. And when the stock market goes down, your investments won't lose a dime. There are no unnecessary fees, and it works for your investments, money at a brokerage firm, or even money at a bank.
10: USA Radio News
11: with Kenneth Burns. A tornado that hit Andover, Kansas Friday night damaged about a 1,000 structures. Officials say the number is expected to climb as they do more assessments. So far, no dust from the storm. Officials say about 70% of secondary searches are complete. The tornado first developed in southeast Wichita before moving northeast. Kansas Highway Patrol is assessing damage from the air. Ukrainian forces were fighting village by village to hold back a Russian advance, while the United Nations was brokering a civilian evacuation from the last Ukrainian stronghold in what's left of Mariupol. 100,000 civilians are estimated to be in the city, and up to a 1,000 are living beneath a sprawling steel plant from the Soviet era. Tech stocks sunk Wall Street Friday. The Nasdaq had its biggest monthly loss since 2008, while the S&P 500 recorded its worst month since the beginning of the pandemic. This is USA Radio News. A member of British Parliament has resigned after he admitted to watching pornography twice in the House of Commons. Neil Parrish was suspended Friday from the Conservative Party over the allegations. He tells the BBC that the first time was an accident... The second time was deliberate. And the one thing I wasn't
5: doing, and which I will take to my grave as being true, um, is I was not actually making sure people could see it. In fact, I was trying to do quite the opposite. and I was wrong what I
11: was doing. Parrish says his biggest crime was looking at it a second time while waiting to vote on the side of the chamber. A federal judge ruled there was enough evidence to convict socialite Ghislaine Maxwell. She was convicted of recruiting teenage girls for Jeffrey Epstein between 1994 and 2004. But the judge also handed Maxwell's legal team a victory, concluding that three conspiracy counts were charged for the same crime and she could only be sentenced for one. The reduction of counts won't have much effect on the sentencing. Maxwell could spend decades in prison, if not several years. You are listening to USA Radio News.
12: So sign up for free at paranormaldate.com. That's paranormaldate.com. Use the code word George and start meeting others. Get going now and connect with someone you like.
5: This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the podcast The Gold Standard of Paranormal Radio.
1: this is interesting here that a public institution does the digitizing. Here in the U.S., we have people like Barry Greenwood and David Marler and even Erica Lukes digitizing. Private people have to do the digitizing of UFO-related records. And, of course, the government thinks that no UFO case occurred before 2004.
3: <laughs> Indeed. And even uh, my own uh, collection of UFO reports... Um, I've turned it over to uh, an archive here in uh, in my part of Canada and uh, the plan is for them to digitize it so it's good that we the preservation of historical material like this is going ahead and yes thanks to David marlar and to Jen Aldrich and Barry Greenwood and, and Erica that you know we are getting this material more available but I have to make the point that Uh, This is sort of a a retrospective because the National Library of Canada, uh, through the NRC, has been uh, doing this all along Uh, in the United States uh, ever since Blue Book finished in about 69 and 70 uh, we really haven't had much input or information about what was being seen what was being reported how it was being reported who's who's in charge of it and so forth except through the uh, very diligent uh, research by people like Paul Dean and uh, and Barry Greenwood and and uh, Jan and people like that who have really dug deep and found some documents uh, show that you know there had been UFO cases uh, reported through uh, the um, the military the department uh, Department of National Defense Defense, or Department of Defense, rather, for many years. Uh, and it was only in, you know, uh, just a matter of, what is it, not quite 10 years ago now, that we found out that there was a UFO program uh, that was in, uh, you know, working in uh, 2007 for about five years. And, uh, uh, you know, this has spawned our discussions about the United States Navy and why is the Air Force more involved and so forth. But the Pentagon, uh, you know, finally fessed up and said that there was at least a, something that was happening in in 2007. But that still leaves, uh, was it, 30-year gap, 40-year, 50-year gap there. That shows that, you know, we don't really know what was going on. But in Canada, there are reports uh, where... Uh, we're continually being reported, and what's curious is we do know that because of the association between NORAD uh, or within NORAD with Canada and the United States, that there was some exchange of information, that uh, reports were being filtered into the United States. There were some cases from American um, personnel, military personnel that made it into the National uh, Archives, into the uh, uh, NRC, National Research Council. And so um, we can suspect that there had been some organizations or some department within the United States that was, you know, collecting this information as well, because we, we know there was something in Canada and Canada really only mirrored in so many ways what was happening in the United States. There probably was something going on in the United States all along as well.
1: Interesting. You mentioned Paul Dean. Paul Dean's from Australia, but he's done a lot of work in getting information on cases here. Yeah,
3: and it shows you how how the international scope, um, you know, these days, you know, people uh, bemoan the internet for various reasons, but, you know, because um, so much is getting digitized and so many documents are now available and you can file Freedom of Information requests from all over the place. You know, you can uh, be somebody like Paul Dean and uh, uh, obtain uh, formerly classified documents about a military exercise in Vietnam in the 1960s and, uh, you know, have that material available.
2: Yeah, that's interesting.
3: And the Canadian
2: approach, it seems a whole lot more transparent than the United States effort uh, ever was. One thing that we found from, from researching some of the documents from the 70s, the government Decided since they knew the Freedom of Information Act was there, that they would put less UFO information in the paper form, and then if they did, they used some kind of deceptive language. And I think that's where we get the the language like the Advanced Aerospace Weapons Application Program that became ATIP, you know, where it's kind of uh, camouflaged. But um, apparently the. Something was going on, and we've not found much of it. But, uh, so, but as far as the, the government's policy on, on UFOs, it's more open, but how open would you
3: say it is? In Canada? Yes. Um, the Canadian approach was uh, significantly different than the United States in the sense that Canada uh, viewed it as a scientific problem, whereas the United States um, viewed it more as a security or defense problem. And uh, actually there was a big debate um, in the 1960s, and this is very well documented in a new book that's out right now by Matthew Hayes called Search for the Unknown uh, about uh, the Canadian government's uh, dealing with, uh, with UFOs. And uh, the uh, the military, the uh, Royal Canadian Air Force, really didn't want to have anything to do with UFOs. They were really listening very closely to what was happening with regard to Blue Book. And, of course, Blue Book's conclusion, uh, at least according to Condon anyways, was that there was nothing to it. So the Canadians really wanted to get out of the, the UFO biz as well. Uh, and yet they recognized that uh, reports were continually coming in, uh, that uh, many were coming from uh, military personnel, Uh, and we have to keep track of this somehow. Who's going to be looking into this? So they offloaded it to uh, the scientists at the Natural at the National Research Council who were looking at it as a scientific problem. And their view was that, you know, if we had enough information, if we had enough data, we'd be able to explain everything, so let's actually try and gather the data. And so there was this concerted effort to try and understand what people were seeing, um, and the attitude was if somebody had seen a disc moving in the sky, well, you know, maybe uh, they were looking at an aircraft from a funny angle or a helicopter or a cloud or or you name it or a balloon or whatever or maybe the person was just making it up so that was the the attitude but at least the view was not in terms of a defense issue and that's why the canadian documentation is completely intact right from the 1940s to the present, that they were never viewed as a a security issue. Uh, It was simply a scientific issue, and for that, uh, you know, they they kept on going. Now, that did change um, in the 1990s, um, but, uh, you know, up until until then, uh, UFOs were a scientific problem.
1: Well, in the U.S., of course, they've never looked at UFOs as a scientific problem. Even the current research is very heavily focused on: do they represent a threat to national security?
3: Absolutely, and you know there there is some language like that in uh, in Canada as well. But by and large, it uh, you know the, they were viewed as a as a science issue, and um, that caused a, no no end of uh, concern in the. Uh, uh, National Research Council uh, staff, because uh, a lot of the scientists there were, you know, again, they didn't believe in UFOs. Uh, some of the, the individuals involved, there was a fellow named Peter Millman who simply did not believe in UFOs at all, um, uh, Ed Leith and George Clark and people like that. They, they they really didn't give UFOs much thought um, because they were very much interested in the you know in the hard science in um, uh, in the case of Ed Leith who was a UFO investigator for the U- in National Research Council um, he was a geologist and he was more interested in um, you know terrestrial sciences rather than extraterrestrial sciences Peter Milman was uh, an expert in meteors and fireballs and meteorites. Um, and so you know that uh, you know it was only a sort of a association by uh, uh, the fact that you know many meteors are sometimes uh, misidentified as UFOs so that's how poor Peter Milman got uh, roped into it but he he was very very vocal that uh, UFOs were uh, all explained nothing to see here folks and uh, people who were interested in them were, were just simply old foolish um, and what happened was that Peter, uh, he suffered the same fate as a lot of the uh, the ardent debunkers, where he would come up with a flippant explanation that made absolutely no sense whatsoever, um, and uh, uh, that sort of uh, resulted in him looking uh, looking a little foolish and sheepish sometimes.
1: Chris, Gene, and Kurt,
6: you in the Paracast.
7: I need help with my taxes. Where can I find free tax help?
15: If you make $54,000 a year or less, you can participate in the IRS Volunteer Income Tax Assistance, VITA, or the Tax Counseling for the Elderly, TCE, programs. IRS-certified volunteers provide free basic tax prep for low-to-moderate income taxpayers. The TCE program is specifically for taxpayers age 60 and older. Go to irs.gov and enter Free Tax Prep in the search box to find a VITA or TCE site near you.
5: Tracy Torme, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Chris Witkowski is with us with Kurt Collins, and he's talking about the state of UFO research, UFO research in Canada, lots of other stuff.
3: I was just talking about Peter Milman, who uh, a meteoritist, and uh, there was actually a crop circle that was found in... Um, uh, I believe this is the the one that was found in uh, Saskatchewan out by Langenberg. And uh, uh, Peter Milman was asked by uh, some media, you know, what did he think? You know, what was the explanation for it? And without even going out to see the... Uh, the crop circles out in Langenberg without even reading up on it, without knowing much, he proceeded to lecture people about uh, fairy ring mushrooms and how fairy ring mushrooms are obviously the cause of crop circles because they uh, uh, they form uh, circles and uh, if uh, people you know look at them in, in the grass, they'd think that they were landing marks from aliens and, and UFOs. The trouble was that the uh, crop circles uh, in Langenberg in 1974, if I'm not mistaken, or it was it 73, um, bore no uh, similarity to, to uh, fairy ring mushroom rings, uh, which do create these three beautiful rings in the in grass, but usually in lawns, um, and they form uh, you know fairly decent size, you know several feet um, over a period of years, whereas uh, the object the uh, the marks that were in the field in Saskatchewan had formed literally overnight. They were in very, very tall grass. Um, There were no mushrooms found, and they were swirled uh, and pressed down to the ground uh, you know uh, from uh, from grass that was uh, several feet high so uh, you know the fairy ring mushroom explanation did not work in any way at all uh, and yet we have this eminent scientist who uh, you know he I think he was even in who's who um, giving his pronouncement on what it was and it uh, it just simply didn't fly you know as UFOs would
2: it sounds like he really phoned that one in uh, <laughs> so, but well so on the topic of of crop circles for a second. So they were closely associated with UFOs and aliens at one time, and you hear a lot less about them these days. Um, So they're weird, Uh, we know some of them are man-made. Do you think they have any connection to UFOs and and what's your opinion on it
3: today? Uh, no, I don't think that crop circles have much to uh, much to do with UFOs. However, interestingly, uh, most people don't realize that crop circles started in Canada. They did not start in England. They started in Canada in the 1960s. Um, in fact, um, some of the documents that we discovered from going through the National Archives include actual photographs of uh, rings that were found in a field in Alberta in 1967. And um, this particular set of circles was investigated by the uh, the Royal Canadian Air Force. In fact, the Canadian Air Force put out a uh, special um, scientific memorandum uh, describing uh, the crop circles, which at that time were thought to be associated with UFOs. In fact, I think the, the document says uh, investigations or studies into crop circles or marks on the ground associated with UFOs. Uh, so that's back in 1967, long before things started appearing uh, in England. Um, and um, I remember that, you know, things sort of calmed down after that and we didn't hear much of anything until the, the 1980s or so. And I remember when the wee wave of crop circles was really starting up in England and everybody and their dog was seeing that, uh, uh, thank to uh, Doug and Dave and, and so forth. But um, I remember being interviewed. Um, uh, here in Canada by uh, a reporter saying, well, you know, what do you think of the crop circles that are in uh, in Britain? And I said, well, you know, I, I don't really understand, you know, what people thinking that has something to do with aliens. And, you know, there's a lot more fields of wheat in Manitoba and Saskatchewan and Canada than there are in England. And it makes more sense that they would be, you know, found here in Canada, you know, right outside practically my doorstep. And uh, obviously the aliens had been listening to the broadcast because the very next morning uh, crop circles were found here in Manitoba, um, just uh, just a matter of about a a mile or so uh, away from the Trans-Canada Highway, even closer than that actually. Um, And uh, they started spreading uh, like wildfire uh, all across North America from there, and It just didn't make any any sense whatsoever. We actually did catch a few people uh, who were responsible, not to the extent of Doug and Dave, but certainly some people who had uh, made some marks on the ground and finally fessed up when we confronted them with it. I don't think... That they had anything to do with UFOs. However, was something quite interesting, um, we had been doing the Canadian UFO survey since the 80s, and as the crop circle phenomenon took off, the number of physical trace cases associated with UFOs declined to where it is now uh, practically nothing. It used to be, you know, quite common in the uh, in the 60s and into the 70s, and a little bit of the 80s, that there would be marks associated with uh, UFOs that had gone by uh, rings, uh, charred vegetation, and and so forth. Uh, and those completely disappeared Ted Phillips and his trace cases um, you know after uh, the crop circles started appearing they they really took over uh, no UFOs seen with the crop circles but uh, in the terms of the physical trace cases sometimes there are physical traces not uh, not associated with the UFOs uh, that made them either um, and uh, it, it's very interesting to speculate on as to why physical trace cases close encounters of the second kind have almost gone completely. Uh, it, it's strange to me, too, because MUFON, um, they actually have their field training exercises where they uh, you know, teach field investigators how to take samples and and uh, set up grid lines and so forth, and yet physical trace cases uh, are, are almost gone. Um, in fact, I'm just trying to think of the last one that we've had in canada i mean we have something like uh, between 20 and twenty-five thousand separate ufo reports in canada now since um, the year 1989 and i i would be hard-pressed to think of any physical trace cases uh, in the past 20 years at least and uh, certainly some in there uh, maybe a little bit before that so you know certainly ufology has has changed the uh, that's uh, there's been some subtle and some dramatic changes
1: this is very interesting here because i over the years in the earlier years the late ted phillips collected loads of cases involving landing traces is there a reason for that does that fit in with the theory that maybe the ufos really did leave us long ago and what we're seeing now has a
15: conventional explanation or two
3: well i suppose it's possible i mean uh, one of the puzzles about ufology is that. uh, aliens by rights don't have to land on Earth or or come down and be visible at all uh, for them to analyze what's going on down here on Earth. I mean, we have remote sensing satellites that uh, you know can tell us exactly what what the soil moisture and the the the, uh, the, the various layers of ocean uh, vegetation and so forth is like uh, from space. Uh, so you know you don't have to come down and, and land and and uh, uh, grab a bucket full of of soil or sand and, and fly off again. Um, you know, certainly, you know, that's what we did when we went to the moon, but we had no, no, no ideas uh, of what it was like. But in terms of planets, uh, remote sensing works very well. So why would a UFOs have to come down here at all? It, it sort of is part of the mystery so
2: the uh one idea is that uh it we're a tourist- tourist attraction, mm-hmm. but uh if so the it sounds like the uh, the visitors have uh, gotten better about cleaning up after themselves, so that's good
3: yeah, either that or we're a penal colony or or maybe in a, i think the one that I liked and and Friedman used to talk about this that you know we're uh uh, we're part of uh, an anthropology class from Zeta Reticuli, uh, and uh, they're in the, the aliens are in uh, some sort of uh, alien version of duck blinds, uh, just t- keeping an eye out, watching watching us, so and occasionally grabbing a sample and uh, you know grabbing one of us and taking them on board. And that explains all of of adoptions as well.
2: So we were talking about the um, the U.S. We mentioned uh, the ATIP program a little bit. Something was released recently from the Department of Defense. They put some of the documents from the RSAP ATIP program online, and most of them were very boring. The closest, the the two closest ones, one was a discussion of the Drake equation, and the only one that specifically mentioned UFOs was about. acute I don't I, you know, have the title in front of me, but it, it basically dealt with physical effects mm-hmm. from mysterious vehicles. And, you know, it, it really didn't talk much about UFOs except when it gave some of the references. And so one of the most bizarre claims, besides the typical things like sunburn and and maybe radiation sickness, was an unaccounted for pregnancy.
1: You have raised an interesting specter there. Let's talk about it more. Kurt and Chris and Jean you're in the Paracast.
8: You are listening to GCN. Visit gcnlive.com today.
1: Hey listeners, the Plus, to learn more about Paracast Plus. You don't sit
16: behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen.
17: 800 507 3137. That's 800 507 3137.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
1: An unwanted pregnancy, Kurt. Tell us more.
2: It was listed as an unaccounted for pregnancy, and so you know that was bizarre. Now this was in a—they call it a defense reference document—and it was it was written under the contract with Bigelow by Dr. Kit Green. So now, did they give you they a list of sources, and there was this uh, book by John Schuster, physiological effects. They tracked it down, identified the case. And so Chris, can you tell us about the person and the case that
3: this pregnancy is related to? Here we have another case of Canada being involved uh, and being the source of a lot of this, sure, um, yeah. Kit Green had, uh, you know, written this uh, paper on uh, bi- biological effects uh, of UFOs, and a lot of it was sheer speculation on some of the sources. Now, you would think that from a, in a scientific paper, you'd you know want to have completely referenced, peer reviewed sources, get data from a good source if you're going to be talking about actual biological effects. But he included. Uh, a reference to Schuessler's book, which in itself included comments and cases that had been reported online uh, in a number of UFO publications, um, and only one out of all those turned out to be uh, a case where a woman had reported this uh, unaccounted for, unexpected pregnancy. We were able to track that down uh, to a Canadian woman named Elvina Scott in British Columbia, uh who was a contactee Um, She actually held uh, religious services. Uh, She was sort of some, you know, really from the religious side of ufology. Space beings uh, were speaking to her quite frequently. Uh, A lot of uh, things had happened to her. She had telepathic contact with the aliens and so forth. And one of the things that she claimed was that uh, uh, because she had been taken on board uh, the craft so often, uh, that uh, one day she believed that uh, she had been uh, made pregnant uh, by by some of the uh, experiments on board the craft. That was the whole source of all the, the news stories that resulted in this.
2: And, and this was, uh, as I understand it, she had a miscarriage, so it, there was no baby to be studied or anything like that. And so much as this happened you know, on witness testimony alone and happened off stage, but it caught the attention from a tabloid perspective
3: yeah and there was um you know literally media around the world ran with the story it was uh, I think it even made uh, uh like uh, late night uh, talk shows and uh it it went everywhere and it's it's incredible that the entire Uh, All the other documents were completely ignored. The point of the study was completely ignored, but the one thing that they focused on was this one uh, report completely unsubstantiated uh, that came from a contactee in Canada. So again, once again, Canada uh, (laughs) rears rears up and uh, causes issues. There are a lot of interesting points about this. One is the media's ir- irresponsibility,
2: because you know there was some substantial matters that they could have looked into, mm-hmm. and they
3: took the cheap shot yeah, absolutely i mean there were some some aspects uh, to this the fact that that kit green got a contract for this at all is is quite interesting uh he actually continues to maintain that uh, by examining reports of biological effects it's possible to sort of reverse engineer and speculate on the mechanisms themselves as as to what aliens might be doing that would cause uh, biological effects uh, in humans so i mean there are there you can justify that there are some interesting uh, science uh, research aspects to this but of course you know the media picked up on something that wasn't quite true It's sort of like um, uh, Daniel Otis, who is a television reporter, uh, he's had a number of articles in Vice recently uh, over the past year. He's uh, he's very new to the, uh, to the UFO scene, but he's made quite a splash by getting some government documents, uh, filing a number of requests, and finding some things out about uh, uh, government interest in UFOs. And very recently, he was able to get uh, 300 uh, UFO documents released from the government of Canada uh, that show UFOs were being seen and reported by military personnel, RCMP pilots, and so forth. Uh, and again, this made a really big splash as well. And the media kind of focused in on 300 uh, UFO reports and and so forth. And what turns out is that if you actually look at what was released, most of what was released to Daniel wasn't really released at all. It had previously been released and had previously been available, in some cases, through the National Research Council of Canada and Transport Canada. uh, You know, actually, uh, every day releases uh, civil aviation. Uh, Occurrence reports, uh, including things like bird strikes, blown tires on planes when they come in for a landing, uh, problems with radar, disruptive passengers, somebody smoking in the restroom, and occasionally they have... Uh, UFO reports—they're not called UAP, by the way, in Canada. They are called UFOs. Um, and so, over the over the past twenty years, there were about five hundred of these that were reported, and they're public. They're public knowledge. They're actually on the Transport Canada website. So this is the type of thing that was released to uh, to Vice magazine or to Vice, and then reported as you know this you know, uh, disclosure. Some people thought this was disclosure, and a lot of media picked up. On it as disclosure, but it really wasn't disclosure because these documents had already been made public. But what is interesting is that you know it it emphasizes the fact that um, governments around the world are. Uh, keeping track of ufo reports and um canada for example you know listed all these things over the past 20 years but we still don't know exactly what is going on in the united states and perhaps this is one way of increasing pressure on the united states to do something other than you know wave their hands and say atip a wasp you know a task force on on ufos or uaps yeah we're going to do something um but uh you know, we do, we're not entirely sure exactly how this methodology is going to work, or what period it's going to cover, or who's actually going to be doing the investigating, but we're going to be doing something, and we'll we'll issue a report every ninety days. Sure, they will. But of the, of these documents, though, uh,
2: there was uh, it, it was impressive the the amount that there was, and it, it was new to some people, but it, it does seem seem like the media. Constantly mischaracterizes things, and um, so how do you think the average person can actually learn some more about about UFO
3: history? Because they're not they're not getting it from the newspaper and, <laughs> and YouTube. Well, yes, as a matter of fact, that's one of the biggest problems is that. Um, uh, there 's a lot of people who are fascinated they 've sort of taken an interest over the past number of years let 's say ten years and they 're trying to find as much information as possible and Unfortunately, what most people are doing is is looking on the internet and not uh, i mean the internet you know does have some good Information out there, however, the misinformation and the the pr- bad information uh, is really overwhelming. And so, if you're not really discerning or not able to really sort and winnow out the good from the bad, um, you're going to be um, learning a, a, a lot more inaccurate material and inaccurate information. So, the problem uh, that I have with a lot of people in ufology today, where you know they're they you know they're listening to a lot of YouTube uh, videos uh, or watching a lot of YouTube videos. And uh, uh, think they have a good grasp of what's going on in ufology, and yet a lot of this stuff has been studied in much greater depth um, over the past fifty years. I mean, it's we're coming up on the seventy-fifth anniversary of of, uh, of Roswell, and. Uh, um, Over those years, you know, we've had uh, studies, scientific investigations. Uh, There are doctoral and uh, master's theses published on UFOs every year. Uh, There have been a number of excellent books, and and Isaac Coy and a few others have been making uh, them available online. I would say, for gosh sakes, you know... um, uh, you know, look at some of the historical material uh, about UFOs because uh, you know a lot of that stuff uh, can uh, you know will will curl your hair. The, you know, some of the actual cases that people were investigating and and studying uh, it, uh, it you know there's there's a lot more information out there that you probably haven't seen. You just have to uh, take a look for it.
1: We're going to break here. More with Chris and Kurt and Gene. You're in The
3: Paracast.
1: Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to The Paracast Plus. Once again, the theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out the theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus.
10: Extend your life with
17: Extender.
6: When your doctor tells you you have bad cholesterol or blockages in the arteries, what do you do? When diet and exercise is not enough, we try medications and hope for the best. For the last two decades, I have been telling people about a natural method to help solve these problems and more. Extendivite can help maintain cardiovascular health and lower blood lipid levels in adults. The seven herbs in Extendivite are known to work together synergistically to get the results we hope for. There are many testimonials on Extendivite's effect on circulatory related ailments. Get Extendivite today to start your journey back to a healthier life. To order, call 1 877 928 8822 or visit heartdrop.com or see us on amazon.com. Extend your life
18: with
15: Extendivite.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: You talked about some cases that will curl your hair. Now I'm looking at a picture of you.
3: That'll curl people's hair just looking at a picture of me, for God's sake. Come on.
1: Uh-huh. Well, of course, you see, it can't curl Kurt's hair for reasons I won't explain. <laughs> no, we don't want to do jokes like that. That's not fair. No, no, no. <laughs> doesn't matter, you know, anymore. I mean, yeah. look, Captain Picard.
3: Yes, that's how I think of Kurt, actually.
1: Of course. Yeah. Therefore, we should call him Sir Kurt Collins.
3: Uh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely you can call him sir you can call him kurt you can call him cc but just you doesn't have to call him johnson that's 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 the bottom line
1: i know what he's talking about i Uh, do not wish to do it because it ages me all right let's talk about the cases that curl your hair toss out a few for us
3: well let's see well let's talk about falcon lake why not um I maintain that it's a much better case than Roswell. It's one of the best cases, not only in North America, but uh, anywhere in the world. Probably the best documented UFO case that I've seen by a government that admits that it actually happened. Uh, You know, the government says nothing happened at Roswell, uh, and there's some, you know, Precious little documentation on on that. But Falcon Lake, 1967, uh, a fellow who was basically a rock hound, was doing some uh, poking around uh, at some rocks and encountered a a flying saucer, 21st, 1967. And... He was uh, uh, surprised to see this this Hollywood-style flying saucer, disc with a dome and lights on it, uh, come down, uh, land not too far from him. He walked up to it. Uh, he was burned uh, by the blast of hot gas this thing gave off when it took off. Uh, he was treated in hospital. There was radiation that was found at the site. And we have hundreds of pages of documentation of the investigation by the Royal Canadian Air Force, the Uh, The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, Uh, the United States Air Force came up, uh, although it's not part of Blue Book, uh, it's actually part of the Condon Report. Uh, and so there, there is many, many aspects to this. There we have pages and pages of the interrogation of the witness. Uh, his family was interrogated. The investigators went to where he worked. They followed his kids home from school. They went to the site and uh, tested the the uh, material that was found at the site. The, uh, uh, some pine needles and dirt and so forth. In fact, the government even had considered closing uh, the entire area because of a health hazard from radiation uh, and you know there's there's so much documentation we have the medical records we have the the, the metallurgical records we have the uh, the records from uh, the Royal Canadian Mount Police and in, in their own investigations and in the conclusion of the Royal Canadian Mount Police and uh, the the Air Force they both said that they could not explain what had happened and and yet few people know about the case and it's easily one of the most uh, incredible uh, that has ever been uh, documented and reported and the first and the, uh, on top of that this guy wasn't out to to sell books so he shied away from publicity in fact he refused to um, uh, interviews for, for quite a number of years, uh, until he was finally convinced to go on the good old original Unsolved Mysteries, and, and where they recreate it, and you can find that one on YouTube, uh, and you can see me giving my two cents for the case back then. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it's, it sort of stands the test of time, uh, if it was a hoax, it's a you know a very complicated hoax because uh, you know you could you can track where he went where he was uh, the RCMP and Air Force uh, interviewed the hotel owner and the, the barkeep and the house cleaning staff uh, where he was staying the the bus uh, lines because he had traveled uh, to and from the area by bus uh, and you know he went to the hospital uh, you know it's there's a lot involved in this particular case. So, you know, it's, it's the type of thing that, uh, you know, all ufologists dream of. Uh, and it's just one of the many cases that, uh, that are in files that are now available to the public.
1: Instead, we have 497 books on Roswell.
3: <laughs> yes,
2: exactly. Well, so one, th- one strange thing about this was that, that you know, whatever whatever injuries he had, they were recurring. And
3: did that happen more than once? Yeah, something very strange is that um, he had flare-ups. Uh, it was almost like he had an allergic reaction. Um, uh, he had uh, passed out a couple of times. Uh, he was working uh, back on the job uh, a number of months after the, uh, the incident, um, and he started feeling dizzy. His, uh, his throat swelled up. His, his hands swelled up uh, and had passed out. Uh, and the, this rash uh, on his chest came back a, a few times, uh, he actually went to the Mayo Clinic, and the Mayo Clinic couldn't uh, figure out what was going on with him. In fact, uh, when he was at the Mayo Clinic, uh, he was uh, examined by the Mayo Clinic psychiatrist. And in the opinion of the Mayo Clinic psychiatrist, he uh, was not the type of person to make up stories. So, you know, you, you have uh, so much more information than you have from virtually any other case uh, that it's, uh, uh, you know it should be ranking up there as, as one of the better cases on record.
2: Yeah, it's uh, so often when there's a witness, they claim something that's so extraordinary, they'll kind of shut themselves off from publicity and he did it to some extent but it sounds like he opened himself up to investigation and it sounds like they you said they followed his kids they were they examined him as a possible crime suspect
3: well the uh the the police certainly uh you know where do you classify ufo cases and um you'd be surprised to know that um UFO uh, sightings are treated uh, uh, or investigated by the criminal investigations branch. So, basically, he was trying to they were trying to break his story. You know, uh, uh, there's uh, as we document in in our book, I I wrote, uh, I co-wrote a book with his son called When They Appeared. Um, Links to be uh, at the bottom of the uh, of the uh, Paracast page. And um, uh, the the uh, now, where was I going with this the uh his son uh, his son yeah um uh following him home and that sort of thing and they uh, but the r c m p uh actually um tried to get uh, the witness liquored up to try and get him to confess the whole thing. And this is actually documented in these in these files, um, because the argument was that you know maybe uh, you know he had just too much to drink, and that caused the whole thing. Well, the, the trouble is, um, uh, you know, being having a few drinks doesn't. Uh, mean that you, you know, make up flying saucer stories. It's, it's, it just doesn't work like that. Uh, in fact, uh, very, very few cases that I've run into out of the 20,000 uh, that we've looked at uh, are involve people who were drunk and made up stories.
1: I would think another kind of drug would force <laughs> you to possibly see things that weren't there. The only thing about drinking too much would make you less discerning. True. Seeing, i guess but unless you're really really severely uh, but i don't yeah. drink so i have no idea about any of this stuff christine and kurt dream the paracast.
8: thank you for listening to gcn be sure to visit gcn live.com today
10: USA Radio News
1: with Kenneth Burns.
11: Civilian evacuations are underway at a steel plant in Mariupol, the last holdout against Russian control. The deputy commander of a Ukrainian regiment says a group of 20 women and children have left. Officials believe that up to 1,000 people have taken shelter at the plant. Evacuating civilians from there has become a point of contention between Russia and Ukraine, with Ukrainian officials accusing Russians of not abiding by the ceasefire. No fatalities have been reported in a tornado that struck Andover, Kansas. The twister moved along a three-mile path, damaging hundreds of buildings. Emergency crews have been conducting secondary searches on Saturday, urging people to stay away from storm-damaged areas. President Trump still has to pay $10,000 a day until he comes into compliance with a subpoena from New York Attorney General Letitia James. She's been investigating his business practices. This is USA Radio News. Naomi Judd, one half of the Grammy-winning duo The Judds and the Mother of Winona and Ashley Judd, has died. The daughters announced the 76-year-old's death in a statement provided to the Associated Press. The Judds were to be inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame on Sunday and had just announced an arena tour to begin in the fall, their first tour together in more than a decade. A federal judge ruled there was enough evidence to convict British socialite Ghislaine Maxwell. She was convicted of recruiting teenage girls for Jeffrey Epstein between 1994 and 2004. But the judge also handed Maxwell's legal team a victory, concluding that three conspiracy counts were charged for the same crime and she could only be sentenced for one. Still, the reduction of counts from five to three was not expected to have much effect on the sentencing. Maxwell could spend decades in prison, if not several years. Wall Street ended April with the Nasdaq's biggest monthly loss since 2008, and the S&P 500 recorded its worst month since the beginning of the pandemic. You're listening to USA Radio News.
6: Hi, this is James Fox. You're listening
14: to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Long and short of it there is we were discussing just briefly whether people who are intoxicated are more apt to see UFOs. And my suggestion here, unless you're really, really whacked out, is that you may be less discerning of common phenomena. And report something, but that doesn't mean you make it all up.
3: Yeah, that's true. And um, there are many reports on file where people have had, uh, you know, incredibly uh, detailed uh, close encounters, and they'll go to into a police station and uh, tell the police what they had seen, and the police will document in the files, you know, this person you know, did not seem to be intoxicated, Um, you know, and they would ask all all those questions and you know, it's... you know, a common question to ask people if you if they seem to be uh, saying things or acting in ways that that don't make any sense. But in the case of UFOs, we do have reports from pilots and air traffic controllers and police and military personnel. And while those people might certainly imbibe occasionally, um, if you get reports from them, the chances are that uh, you know they are good observers and and uh, we're not uh, uh, we're not drunk at the time.
1: Over the years, I was very close with Jim Mosley, and almost every time I visited Jim Mosley, he was, shall we say, at least somewhat intoxicated, unless we were going out or something like that. But, you know, at his house, he was intoxicated. Maybe he smoked a few joints, but he never, ever came across as illogical, maybe a little bit more emotional, but... I could talk to him and make sense with him. So maybe mm-hmm. he just handled his liquor well. I don't know. Could
2: be. Yeah, well, uh, using Jim as an example. So if if anyone's followed his career, that he and uh, Gray Barker, they did put together a literary hoax about uh, Adamski. They wrote the straight letter. So it's true that alcohol can... Uh, your judgment, but usually what amounts to, well, the the way I think of it is that you're more likely to make a prank phone call the, and and report a UFO. You're not going to go, you know, there's not going to be an elaborate scenario and all the details, and you're probably going to chicken out if somebody shows up to investigate. So I, I think that amounts to very few significant liquor and UFOs. I think that that, that there's probably not much of an overlap there
1: just one instance, speaking of Jim Mosley, of course, he and Gray Barker were responsible for a few notable hoaxes. But one time I was visiting Jim and he called a small police department in another part of New Jersey and reported a UFO. And it wasn't long thereafter, maybe that same day that the Montague Reservoir sightings occurred, (laughs) totally separate from Jim, as if he had Predicted it, predicted that event, and that makes no sense whatever.
3: Right. (laughs) What I was going to say is that in terms of other substances that that you can ingest, um, there is a, uh, and I document this in my book on abductions, uh, um, where uh, there was a a rock musician uh, who was part of a group, and uh, he and his uh, band um, had a close encounter, and uh, he uh, thought that uh, a man in black was chasing him and, and things like that. And it, uh, he actually composed and uh, recorded and published uh, a song about uh, a UFO. It's called I Saw a UFO Last Night by Paul Barfoot. And um, I was talking with, with him, and after about i don't know 10 years of of talking with him and knowing him and getting to know him a little bit more uh he sheepishly said well you know we had really dropped some heavy stuff that night so it's very possible that that's that was what what had happened so you know we can't rule that out but uh uh, you know, for the most part, uh, people who report UFOs uh, are are pretty straight uh, They simply don 't understand what they 've seen uh, they 've had an experience which uh, they can 't uh, place within their own frame of reference within their belief systems. And um, it—they uh, uh, simply want to know what was it that they saw. And uh, the, the job of a good UFO investigator is to try and help people get a better understanding of what uh, they had experienced. Um, and uh, what I'm finding more and more, especially with regard to. Um, uh, modern and pop ufology is that people will post things on facebook for example in, in ufo groups and they say i had this experience what did i see and then if it turns out that it's a you know it's a starlink satellites or something um, and people will say you saw the starlink satellites you get dumped on because uh, you're trying to debunk this person's personal ufo experience when in fact it had a reasonable explanation uh, that may have been very profound to them. But if it had an explanation, then it's not really in the realm of ufology. It's in the realm of of something else.
6: Well,
1: then it is not a UFO.
6: It's an IFO, I suppose.
13: Now,
1: in terms of being intoxicated, I suppose we talk about the John Lennon sighting in the mid-70s, where -hmm. he and his then-girlfriend, May Pang, saw a UFO in retrospect, we don't want to get graphic about this, both were naked and both had imbibed some substances. Doesn't mean the UFO wasn't real, but that is used against it.
3: Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as I said, there's no question that that's certainly going to be the case in in, uh, in some instances, but by, by and large, um, it, it happens very infrequently. Now, you know, one has to... Talk in terms of other uh, cases, though, like uh, contactees uh, who believe that uh, you know they've been uh, you know having very close encounters. In the case of Elvina Scott, who made it into the Pentagon papers, um, she uh, you know had had been telepathically communicating and and so forth. But. Um, you know, that's a, a different level of uh, psychological effect than uh, than one would expect from a, uh, from imbibing in some substances.
2: Although people now are uh, advocating substances to not not see ufos necessarily but to make contact with a consciousness and things like that so this yeah you know, it does play a role in sort of a broader ufology but you know that's almost more like spirituality and, and religion
3: absolutely in fact um this whole movement about consciousness and ufos which which really doesn't it doesn't uh, jive with me whatsoever but um uh you know, there's no question that, uh, you know, in some uh, retreats you can go on and have uh, some ayahuasca and uh, some other uh, hallucinogenic uh, drugs, and you will have uh, experiences that may seem uh, that, that are extraterrestrial in nature or you're, in, you know, in touch with a, a greater power in the universe and so forth. That is very different than, you know, uh, the average person or a, a family of four driving along a, a rural part of Nebraska and they see a UFO come and fly beside the car and take off again. That's that's very, very different. So we have to uh, – I mean, ufology is so, um, I don't know, diverse or there's so many aspects to ufology that when a person comes – to ufology quite new uh, you know it, it depends on where their own head is at it's, it's difficult to steer them in a direction that would be most reasonable for them are they really looking for truth are they looking for meaning in their life are they trying to find evidence of aliens are they trying to find evidence of, of 14 phenomena spiritual realm and so forth what are they looking for themselves and uh, you know if you try to encompass everything you're going to be going down so many rabbit holes that you'll never come out again.
1: So we're going to break in a moment here, but perhaps we can get into the question of rabbit holes in the UFO field in our next segment. And by the way, Chris Rutkowski is also going to hang in there for this weekend's episode of After the Paracast. That's the premium podcast that we offer to subscribers of the Paracast Plus at the Powercast dot plus. Once again, and write this down, it's the Powercast dot plus so we have here of course chris rudkowski who never messes up we have kurt collins who never messes up and gene steinberg about the less said the better you're in the Paracast.
8: thank you for listening to gcn
15: Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax
20: management a phone call.
15: If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625.
14: Hi, Peter Vacaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together.
13: co-author
5: of the UFO Encyclopedia
1: and Other Books. You're listening to the Paracast. So rabbit hole number one, what's the rabbit hole, Chris Ritkowski?
3: Well, let's, let's talk about metamaterials. People are very fascinated with the idea that somehow um, UFOs have crashed uh, or otherwise left behind pieces of themselves, and we can grab some of these and run them through various tests, and uh, therefore we will be able to uh, extrapolate what the alien spaceships are made from. Now, the trouble is that... By and large, I know that uh, that a number of people uh, have made lists of about a dozen uh, or fifteen of uh, the most famous ones, Ubatuba and uh, um, and others. But you know, by and large, the the provenance—that is to say, where these things came from—and how do you know they really are from a UFO? We really don't have that information. Um, that uh, you know, in in the case of Ubatuba, something was found, um, you know, and and sent to a a, a media outlet, and uh, you know, there's no way to prove that whatever it was had anything to do with the UFO, and that's the case for most. Um, uh, most of the cases that are involved when people start talking about metamaterials, um, and that uh, the the insistence is that you know some scientists uh, say that uh, the this layering of bismuth on on uh, copper or, or whatever you know has never been done on Earth before. Well you know there's a lot of things that have been done in, in laboratories and uh, in manufacturing around the world uh, and just because you don't have a good example of it doesn't mean that that it must have come from outer space and uh, you know there's, there's so many pieces so i don't think that the study of uh, and discussions of metamaterials is really getting anywhere because we really can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, and uh, I, I just you know unless things have different um, isotopic elements in them, as something would be if it was really manufactured on Mars for or sorry on a different uh, solar system, uh, it, it's it, we're really not getting anywhere. I know people really want something tangible that they can say and hold up and say this is from a UFO. Um, and, uh, you know, because the, the UFO field is largely intangible. In fact, one does not study UFOs. One studies UFO reports. That is to say, you study what people have said that they have seen. Uh, the UFO is long gone. And because you're talking about things that aren't there, um, you are desperately trying to find something uh, a little more uh, substantive to, uh, to look at. Um, and you re- this is why so much of ufology in the I, I produced something that's on uh, uh, that I put on Facebook and and, uh, and in updates uh, of a list of scientific and scholarly articles about UFOs uh, and I would say that a good half of them are psychological studies or, uh, you know why are, why do people see UFOs and you know uh, uh, what are the characteristics uh, uh, and the personalities of people believing that, that they've seen UFOs in fact there's one study that looks at the the characteristics characteristics and personalities of people who investigate ufos so i mean there's a a whole series of articles like that and so science is studying ufos from a lot of different angles that people don't really appreciate are going on all the time so there's so many rabbit holes to follow uh, even just in regard to this whole issue of metamaterials.
1: well i'm going to ask you about that too we had uh, dr roger lear who, who was investigating for a number of years alien implants little things you find in someone's body now understand his regular profession he was a foot doctor mm-hmm. so you know if you have calluses on your feet you go to him not anymore of course he's no longer with us and that's not to put the guy down because he seemed perfectly sincere about investigating ufos but what about those alien implants what's going on
3: Well, as I understand it, I mean, a lot of them uh, wear orts, little tiny bits of things from metal shavings. And uh, we actually, uh, uh, when I was involved in working with um, abductees uh, uh, for sort of a support group at the very early, early goings, um, one of the fellows who was in the support group said that uh, he believed he had an implant. And so he went to the doctor and the doctor took it out and he brought it around to show everybody. And it was a little, little teeny tiny piece of metal that was in, um, I think it was the palm of his hand. And uh, he said, you know, there was no entry. There is no, you know, didn't remember being injured at all. So the aliens must have put it there. Well, it turned out that it was a, a simple metal shaving. Um, he had actually been do- working in a, uh, a um, you know, like a metalworking uh, profession for a while And the point is that sometimes you can get a metal shaving entering your body through a very small opening that you maybe never even saw, and it can actually work its way around to literally any part of your body after that. So that's the, by and large, what most of these were. I remember uh, seeing x-rays of a woman who had a little... um, spring-like thing in her in her nose, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, you know, it's hard to say how something like that could have got there. Um, but, you know, there, there are many ways that, that we can get objects into our bodies. And, and I would say to people, if you think you have one, get an x-ray. In fact, we, we had somebody come to us about a year ago who was convinced that she had an implant. And uh, uh, so we said, well, you know, go to your family doctor, try and get an x-rayed if it's really bothering you, if it's a concern. And as soon as we tried to get this person to quantify... Uh, rather than qualify uh, her experience, uh, that was the last we heard of her. Because we were simply saying, get some information, get more evidence. Let's try and we want to we want to believe you. Show us this this uh, stuff. Get get uh, somebody to get an X-ray of this particular part of your body, and we can see what the implant is. But as soon as we tried to do that, uh, that was very threatening, and so she she you know disappeared. We never heard from her again
1: okay say put up or shut up and they shut up listen i want to ask you also something about that we look at ufos as possible alien visitors and i have to think here if we're looking for evidence of a crashed spaceship the advanced alloys that et uses but we also are searching for earth-like planets around the universe that have that have conditions similar to ours and i'm kind of thinking here you know what folks what if a spaceship landed here and we look at the minerals and look at the metals in which that spaceship is constructed and it's just like us huh.
3: we've seen the enemy and, and he is us well
1: you know what i mean because the same elements are available on their world
3: mm-hmm. well they would be although the isotopic uh, ratios and you might hear this term thrown around quite a bit in ufology or in, or in uh, uh in cd talk um but it's true. Uh, the, the, the ratio of certain elements uh, to their radioactive uh, isotopes will be different in other parts of the galaxy than, than on Earth. And that's one way we can try and understand uh, where something uh, was, was produced. Uh, that's how we date meteorites and determine that some meteorites came from Mars and some, people came, some of them came from much further away, an asteroid belt, for example. So, you know, there, there are ways of doing that. Uh, and, you know, people are saying, well, maybe it's not carbon. Maybe it's the silicon, uh, uh, you know, has replaced carbon. And there's a number of really, really good books on the search for extraterrestrial intelligence that go into very great detail on uh, silicon-based life. And... um, even though it's, it's it's theoretically possible, silicon-based life would would have so many problems. Uh, it turns out that carbon-based life it just seems to be the most ideal, the most stable. Um, and uh, maybe aliens true. Maybe they're going to be carbon-based, just like us, even though uh, it's possible to replace carbon with some other element. Um, but, it, you know, this shows you how many different rabbit holes you can go into. There's whole branches of, of uh, ufology uh, that looks at, uh, at CD in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Uh, there's a fascinating book on my bookshelf right here called Contact with Alien Civilizations by uh, Michaud. And it's a meta-analysis of uh, all the uh, the studies that have been done on uh, to try and understand and search for life in the universe and some of the explanations as to why they're not here. It's an analysis of the Drake equation and so forth. It's an amazing book. And virtually nobody knows about it. And uh, it just shows that there's so much information out there uh, that, I, you know, maybe the answer is you know, is, is out there laying in, in in some book in some corner of a chapter that most people don't realize and, and uh, their questions can be answered simply by knowing a little bit more. So this push for gathering more information, digitizing more information, having more open discussions, the you know, more podcasts, uh, international conferences and so forth may Maybe this is uh, the way to go.
1: But don't you think, therefore, that focusing on UFOs as, aha, ET is here, that limits everything? Even if it's possible, if that is the truth, that it's ET, we're not looking for an answer. We're looking to verify that ET is here and build from there and wonder why they're here anyway. We got Chris and Gene and Kurt, you're in The Paracast.
0: welcome back to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio and now here's gene steinberg
1: chris rudkowski will be hanging out if his throat holds out For After the Paracast, our premium show for members of the Paracast Plus at theparacast.plus. I was focusing here, we can maybe continue this discussion, on the heavy emphasis that UFOs must be E.T.
3: I would even go uh, one step back, even the definition of what is a UFO, and, and uh, not UFOs must be E.T., but um, even proving that UFOs or UAP exist at all, um, because, you know, debunkers would say that there are absolutely no unexplained cases. Hardcore debunkers, there are no unexplained cases, there's always an explanation. And I think most uh, ufologists take uh, you know, a, a slightly more moderate uh, viewpoint that there are unexplained cases. The Canadian UFO Survey every year finds a small percentage, one, two, five, so forth, so forth of uh, cases that don't seem to have an explanation. But we don't go the next step and say that these are obviously proof of alien visitation. We're just not entirely sure of what these are. And if we look at the UFO problem as a as a problem that needs to be solved with detective work you know if anything uh ufologists uh field investigators should be more like uh like sherlock holmes trying to piece together what was seen and, and the, the example that we talked about this earlier that uh, police uh, rcmp for example the investigating unit is the criminal investigations branch. Well, you're actually piecing together uh, a crime scene. Somebody said that they had seen something, you know, hover over a field and take off. Well, you have to talk to the witness, interrogate the witness. You have to examine, get your yellow tape out and, and cordon off the area and try and understand what was seen. You want to talk to neighbours. You want to try and go into the background a little bit of the witness. Is this somebody who um, has seen things every night of their life? Uh, are, are there, uh, you know, satellite imagery from the area uh, is there uh, you know some drone footage that we can you know, look at is there some uh, traffic cam footage we can look at that's the direction that ufology should be going uh, to try and piece together exactly what was seen using the new technology that we have now Trying try to understand what was seen and maybe this, the answer is not alien whatsoever maybe you know as has been suggested by some these are sophisticated drones from a foreign power or maybe it's some new atmospheric phenomenon uh or or uh, you know some other kind of technology that we uh, we don't under, don't quite understand but the point is to try and understand what was seen you go with the With no presuppositions that uh, aliens were involved or that there's no such thing as aliens, therefore not worth bothering about. This is a problem. Ten percent of the population believe they've seen UFOs, according to polls. That's enough of a a huge number of people that suggests that uh, it's something that affects many, many people. And it's a problem that should be addressed in society. Well, about UFO reports, so I, I know that you wrote an article
2: not so long ago about where should you report your sighting, and as I recall, there was no easy answer, but, uh, and so is there a shortage of UFO reports now?
3: Um, well, yeah, The two things. First of all, there's, there is no easy answer. Where do you report a UFO to these days, and uh, a shortage of UFO reports, well, I, I, I think we we do we're very close to releasing our uh 2021 canadian ufo survey um jeff ditman who crunches my numbers with me uh he says it's uh, we're just a a matter of days away uh there's been some problems with the uh with the web hosters so (laughs) uh, we're trying to get to get that straightened out but um uh, the numbers are going to show i think uh, a decline in ufo reports uh from the previous year uh, having said that, you know, as I, you know, we we have between twenty and twenty-five thousand reports over the past thirty years or so. Uh- we're still talking of the order of a couple of UFO reports per day, uh, and so uh, there are reports out there, uh, and they come in through a variety of ways—not uh, just um, uh, directly to me, but to uh, you know to um, Peter Davenport's National UFO Reporting Center, to MUFON, uh, to a host of other uh, groups. In fact, I think that we have. Something like uh, ten or twelve uh, separate UFO reporting groups that, that we uh, draw on for their, for data. Uh, in addition, reports are coming through YouTube and Twitter and uh, you know social media of all kinds. We might have even had a TikTok report uh, uh, last year. I'd have to check on that. But but as far as obtaining information it's much much harder than it used to be uh, because there's so many ways that people can choose to uh, to send their reports and if I was just uh, pointing out uh, to Kurt just uh, earlier in the week there's another UFO group that just started up that says send your reports to us and we'll investigate them so how do you decide where to report anything and in terms of the government well you know there may be this new task force in the United States looking at, uh, at UAP but They're really uh, the report that they released was really just regarding some military personnel who had seen them over a very specific area over a very specific length of time. Uh, If uh, if somebody saw something in Arkansas today, uh, you know how do they make that report to this task force? I don't think there is a way of doing it. They should uh, you know probably send a report to MUFON or to Peter Davenport or or to uh, you know some other group uh, because there's Uh, there really is nobody taking a hard look at this and even some of those groups, they may not have the investigating capability. The Center for UFO Studies, which used to uh, be so popular and actually had placed stickers on the telephones in most sheriff's offices in the United States, uh, with their phone number to try and get people to report to them. Uh, they're sort of, uh, you know, taking a back seat in terms of conducting uh, research, uh, you know, uh, of previous cases, doing statistical studies, uh, historical studies, and so forth. They're not doing as much uh, actual investigation of UFO cases anymore. So, there's a big shift in the nature of ufology, and, uh, it seems that people are, are you know, willing to speculate and get into flame wars on Twitter. Um and, uh, you know, to them, that's ufology. But uh, ufology is actually doing hardcore research, um, uh, uh, not just uh, Googling and not just looking on Wikipedia, but actually doing serious research. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's time for people to put up or shut up. You really want ufology to be considered a science? Well, act scientific. You want ufology to make advances and try and understand what's going on? Well, then make the effort. Um, don't shoot people down who are finding explanations or or questioning the sources or you know questioning claims by uh, by some experts you know do the research try and understand what's going on
1: the problem of course here is if you have a dozen ufo groups do they coordinate with one another so this group has this set of sightings this group has that set of sightings or maybe the same sighting is reported to two different groups but they take the information differently how do you get a single focus
3: Excellent point. And that's the problem. Most UFO groups are proprietary, uh, that they don't share information. In fact, um, the Canadian UFO survey uh, ran into this problem very, very early on um, when I simply wanted, the, you know, uh, uh, dates, times, locations uh, of, of UFO reports in various parts of the country that were investigated by various organizations. And to get people to agree to share even that amount of data uh, was like pulling teeth. But eventually, uh, and after a few years, we did get um, uh, pretty well all the groups in Canada... Uh, to agree to uh, to at least uh, contribute to the Canadian UFO survey, and the Canadian UFO survey um, was able to function because people realized the value. Uh, no other uh, study of that kind has ever been done um, uh, up until you know fairly recently, when there have been uh, you know a few more groups taking it on. But a completely national study, looking at all uh, groups uh, contributing cases from the government, from civilians, uh, from reports uh, to media and so forth, uh, you know, that uh, to, to, to coordinate something like that was, was very, very difficult. But in the end, we have this, you know, huge amount of data uh, that can be looked at. Now, here's the other problem. Um, it's it's data from witnesses, and for the most part, uh, there isn't a lot of, as I mentioned, you know, physical traces, uh, analysis of some more tangible evidence. So it's it's really personal data, um, uh, you know, uh, narratives and so forth.
1: More on the personal data and all the other evidence with Chris and Kurt and Jean. You're in the Paracast. <laughs>
0: more at rockoids.com that's rockoids R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S.com.
21: if you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity this will be the most important message you'll hear this year here's why we now have a small number of solar generators back in stock these emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural...
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: So our guest, Chris Rutkowski, reciting the kinds and levels of evidence about UFOs, but it's 99.9% people. Telling you what they saw.
3: Absolutely, and this is the problem because uh, Avi Loeb, who uh, has this uh, you know great idea, he's starting to coordinate uh, a, a number of scientists into this uh, uh, Galileo project. He's actually stated that uh, you know he's not looking at the anecdotes; he wants instrumented data, uh, and that means that. You know, the the tens of thousands of cases in Blue Book, the tens of thousands of cases in the Canadian UFO Survey and Peter Davenport's database, um, they're not going to be considered uh, for data in such a project because they're not instrumented for the most part. You know, there's a number of projects uh, looking now at all sky cameras, the new uh, NICAP um, nodes or modes, I guess. you know, where uh, they have um, magnetic field detectors and, and other instruments on board. Um, you know, the theory is if you have enough of those, you might be able to gather enough data that uh, you'd be able to track UFOs or better understand how things fly and move and so forth. Uh, that's still in its infancy. It's going to take years and years and years to gather enough data and have enough uh, uh, detection stations uh, to make this work. And then even then, you know, to try and have things discerned between what's a fault. Reading and and what's a bona fide reading is is very very difficult. So um, it's it's a very complicated project. Uh, I, I certainly hope that it, it uh, uh, you know yields some uh, some fruit, but it's uh, very very difficult at this point.
2: You know something we should address before we run out of time is is that you touched on the reporting of uh, Daniel Otis earlier in his vice articles, and one of them had to do with the fact that you received reports from the Canadian government, at least at one point. Now, that was characterized by at least one critic as that you had inside information, you abused it for your own purposes. Uh, There's a lot of paranoia in the UFO field, so maybe we need to straighten out. what, What was the real
3: situation there? Well, uh, as I mentioned, I was working on my astronomy uh, degrees, and I had been in Ottawa a number of times. I actually had a defense contract with the Department of National Defense, or rather, rather with External Affairs. And um, I'd been down at the National Research Council, and I was speaking with some of the astronomers there. And in the early 90s, they're getting out of the UFO business because uh, it was actually a line item to have somebody in the office keeping uh, track of UFOs and, and taking phone calls and reports from people and so forth. And that didn't look so good. So... Uh, they were trying to figure out a way to, to get out of this, except that you know people were still calling and, and uh, uh, at, by that time sending emails about UFOs and oh, what are you what are you supposed to do about that? And I was having lunch with uh, one of the researchers and I just sort of casually said, "Well, you can always give them to me. I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm conducting research and uh, I'm doing this uh, this study and you know maybe uh, it's uh, the type of thing that I could I could use in my studies." And I heard nothing more about it till the year 2000. And during that time in 1995, the National Research Council and Royal Canadian Mounted Police stopped uh, their agreement and stopped studying the uh, and keeping track of UFO reports. Uh, and they had actually shifted it to Transport Canada, which is the Canadian equivalent of the FAA. And in the year 2000, uh, I started getting... UFO reports through government agencies, from uh, the uh, Department of Defense, from Transport Canada, uh, service reports, those are civilian uh, instructions for reporting vital intelligence sightings, uh, which are pilots seeing uh, you know UFOs in the sky, and they are required to re- report them. And so I started getting uh, these reports, and I duly was adding them into the Canadian UFO survey every year as I got them. Um, and most of the UFO reports, as I mentioned from the, the vice batch, most were explainable as uh, stars and planes and planets uh, and uh, satellites and so forth. And balloons and kites and, and you name it. But uh, I know occasionally there are some interesting cases and I have actually been posting some of those uh, on Facebook. I've uh, talked about them. I've posted some on Twitter. I've talked about them and presented them uh, at conferences. I've presented them at Buffon conferences and uh, the, the UFO Congress and so forth. And I've talked about them on podcasts. So I'm certainly not withholding anything. Um, in fact, just... Uh, when was it, just a uh, few days ago or last week, um, I posted a, a case that I thought I had posted elsewhere um, previously, but uh, I realized I had published it in a book, um, which was uh, a case where the Prime Minister of Canada was flying in an aircraft um, and his pilot reported seeing a UFO. So I made that document available uh, and uh, uh, he had talked about it as long ago as when it happened in 2004. So, you know, because we've had this, this continuous uh, influx of, uh, of cases over the years, uh, I've, you know, made no secret of the fact that I've, uh, you know, been getting this and I've been sharing the information with uh, serious researchers and, and with the public of uh, some of the more interesting cases. Now, what's happened is that I was approached by uh, the University of Manitoba uh the, the archivist there who you know i'm fairly well known in this part of of canada and they said well, what are you going to do with all those ufo reports and i said well i'm, I'm not sure exactly what i'm going to do with them all uh and they said what well, would you consider giving them to the archives now this is before i had heard that david Marlar uh, was doing some of this i apologized to to uh jan aldrich because i knew that he was collecting some of it but the all the archives um Uh, you know, a university institution, an academic institution interested in UFOs. I thought this is a great thing uh, to do. And so uh, I have uh, donated almost all my UFO uh, report files now to the uh, university, and they're slowly starting to digitize them. Now, not at the rate that Jan and and, and Barry and David are doing. I mean, they they do thousands and thousands and thousands in one fell swoop sometimes. But archives uh, work a little bit slower than that. As a matter of fact, during the pandemic, they paused for uh, for a number of years. Um, but the reports are in there, and uh, my, my goal is to have all these reports available for people to look at. And Daniel Otis has been doing a great job, actually. I've given him uh, a bunch of documents as well. And, uh, uh, in fact, he's, he has another uh, uh, article coming out involving documents uh, very, very soon. Uh, and the idea is to get the information out now I mean I, I I don't know why people were you know were so paranoid about me hanging on to these reports but uh, I've been you know you know producing them and and uh, documenting them and including them in every year's Canadian UFO survey so the information's out there uh, I don't know what they're talking about
2: yeah so but I understand that um there's a, I don't know if a relationship is, a, is a, the right word, but you were recently called upon by a Canadian uh, politician to uh, be a source of UFO information. So what was that about, and what's, uh, what happened?
3: Well, I've actually been uh, approached a couple of times by, uh, by politicians to brief them on UFOs. Uh, the first time actually dates back into the 70s, early 80s, something like that.
1: Let's break it here, folks. We'll learn more about his encounters with politicians. With Chris and Gene and Kurt, you're in the Paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
22: You trust your mother, right? She's always taken care of you and always tried to give you good advice when you ask for it. And sometimes even when you don't. Well, even though she might not mention it, mom very likely has neck, back, and shoulder pains. And she needs relief. So trust this good advice. Give back to mom this Mother's Day with quality products from Sunny Bay. Like our disposable heat patches. They're back in stock now and target neck and shoulder pain in adults of all ages. Or our extra-long, neck heating pads they provide soothing relief to painful sore necks and backs mom can heat them in her microwave and they come in a variety of colors and patterns read our trusted authentic and real reviews on amazon when you search sunny bay heating wraps and shop now in time for mother's day there's no shipping delays from sunny bay find us on amazon walmart etsy and sunny-bay.com remember just search for sunny bay neck wraps order now because stock is high and shipping is fast from sunny bay USA Radio News.
18: According to CNN, New Yorkers don't feel safe at home anymore. Residents say they're overwhelmed with fear and anxiety as the NYPD struggles to in crime. The city has recorded a 42.7% increase in major crimes compared to the same period in 2021. According to New York City Police Department, for New Yorkers the fear of ending up as another crime statistic has cast a shadow over their city. Water levels in Lake Mead have reached their lowest since 1971, uncovering one of the original intake valves hidden since it was first installed. It is currently at 1,055 feet above sea level, or about 30% capacity, and research has suggested that it could drop by as much as 30 feet in the next decade. This is USA Radio News. NBC News reports one dead Ford injured in a shootout at the Mississippi Mudburg Festival. The two people described as juveniles were detained for questioning, although the sheriff said he believes that they have knowledge of what happened and who was involved. Three of the wounded people were stabilized at a hospital. The condition of the fourth person was not available. Officials urged residents in northern New Mexico to leave ahead of a rapidly growing blaze. More than 1,000 people were battling the Calf Canyon and Hermits Peak fires. Officials are investigating what may have started the flames. ABC News reports that 15 people were injured in a pedal pub that overturned in Atlanta. This was a single vehicle accident. Atlanta Police Officer Steve Avery has stated, A pedal pub with multiple passengers were trying to make a turn, but apparently going too fast and have turned over. Two out of the 15 people involved were critically injured. The Atlanta Fire and Rescue Department has stated. This is USA Radio News.
15: Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625.
0: 800-503-8625. This is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of
1: paranormal radio. We go back in time here, and you had an encounter—a close an encounter, enc- I guess—with a politician. How did
3: that start? With a politician. Um, this goes back into the late seventies, early eighties, where I was—I um, had a, a phone call. From a uh, politician's aide, asking, uh, you know, the politician had an interest in the UFOs that were being seen uh, in uh, in our area at the time. He was a local politician. And uh, would I be interested in coming out to, to the house and, and talking with him about it? So I did. And it was just, you know, just over a, a coffee and uh, told him what I was hearing about and said, thank you very much. And that was it. And I, I didn't think anything of it. But the more recent ones were were a little more interesting, where uh, a Canadian politician who has gone public about uh, UFOs, uh, his aide uh, contacted me last year. Uh, His name is Larry McGuire. As a member of the Canadian Parliament, and he has gone on record uh, being concerned about uh, UAPs uh, and nuclear sites in Canada. In fact, he um, wrote uh, a request to uh, the uh, committee Within the Canadian government, uh, for information about UAPs that are seen over nuclear sites, with the idea that uh, uh, you know, is this a secure uh, process? Uh, what what UAPs are being seen, and so forth. As preparation for that, he uh, wanted to pick my brains, so we had a, a Zoom uh, call, uh, and I gave a presentation to him for uh, about an hour or so, talking about UFOs in Canada and some of the information that I had. Curiously, that same week, I was contacted by a senator, a Canadian senator, who also wanted me to uh, discuss UFOs. So, uh, you know, the interest is there. The the latest is that um, that uh, this story has been is continuing that uh, the, uh, uh, the committee got back to this politician to Larry McGuire and, and uh, said that we don't have, actually have any information on UFOs or UAPs. sort of very dismissive. Um, but he's not stopping there. He's, he's going to continue to press on this. So um, right now there's a Canadian politician who's going public about concerns about UAPs uh, flying over Canada. You know, we know about the the American politicians, about uh, Reid and and, and uh, uh, Rubio and so forth. Well, we've got a Canadian one who's who's going public about it now too. When they ask you, what are their questions? Well. Can you tell us about uh, some of your uh, findings about UFOs? Do you, what are the numbers involved? What's the distribution? Are there, you know, uh, uh, do, do do I think that there's a, uh, enough of concern or concern that there should be a, a formal committee to investigate? And I certainly say yes. I I believe that that there should be some sort of uh, department or office that investigates reports of UAPs and reports to some department within the Canadian government so it can report to the public because this is something that affects so many people. I mentioned earlier 10% of the Canadian population believe they've seen UFOs. We have somewhere around 2 or 3 reports per day in Canada. You multiply it by 10 for the United States. So uh, you know that's a lot of people who are seeing things. Uh, and uh, you know, if you're looking at a demographic uh, voters base, uh, you know you might be able to garner a few votes if you uh, you know tried to please some of the people who believe that uh, they had seen some UFOs. It's difficult to say uh, what uh, you know what the motivation is. Uh, we do know that. Um, For the most part, uh, I had been receiving reports from uh, National Defense and the RCMP up until about a year, year and a half ago or so. Uh, Oddly enough, coinciding with Daniel Otis's uh, uh, filing of requests, official requests for information. But um, uh, the number of cases has dropped off. And I think it's more of a hot potato situation. I think that we've got uh ufo ufos are not really something that government departments want to deal with and you know given the world situation that certainly is is low down on the priority compared to some of the other stuff that's going on um however i do note that uh yeah, there was a news report just the other day that uh joe biden is very concerned about uh Uh, about drones being flown by foreign powers uh, over American sites of various kinds, including nuclear sites. So, you know, maybe it is a little more relevant these days. Maybe it's time to to pay a little more attention to this phenomenon from a defense standpoint uh, and forget about the extraterrestrial theory uh, altogether. But the fact is that people are reporting uh, UAP or UFOs and uh, somebody should be looking into it. And I I believe that the scientific community, I agree with uh, Avi Loeb completely, that the scientific community should take a leading role in this, that there should be a concerted effort. We should come up with decent methodology. Uh, um, but I, I think that uh, civilian researchers should be involved as well because there's a, a lot of people out there who are very, very smart, with a lot of experience, who might have some great insight. So I think a joint committee uh, involving citizens, uh, or sorry, civilians, as well as people with perhaps military backgrounds uh, at a, some sort of level within a government department. Um, should should be formed so that we get to the bottom of what uh, uap and or ufos are
1: but really when we look at what's happening here in the ufo business in america we see people like senator rubio advocating for this And my impression of him is that he wants to run for president and therefore he must think somewhere along the line that this serves a political purpose
3: yeah, I mean, as I, as I mentioned, you know, we, don't, we might be able to pander to some of your population, to some of your demographics, if you talk about UFOs. I think, uh, you know, if a politician, for example, is failing in the in the polls, um, one oh, you know, one great tactic would be to start talking UFOs and uh, say that you're going to reveal all if you're elected, um, and that hasn't happened. So, you know, that maybe that means that there isn't anything to be revealed about UFOs.
1: That was the case for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. She did say that. She was saying that on some of the all-night TV shows. And what surprised me during the 2016 campaign is that Trump didn't seize on that as more evidence of crooked or crazy Hillary.
3: Yeah, uh, and uh, that in itself is kind of curious. Like why that would have been a perfect thing to uh, to jump on. So I don't know. I don't know. Is uh, I I don't think the, that the government has little green men and pickle jars, but at the same time they have a lot more information. I mean, the, the fact that we really don't have any information about uh, American UFO reports at a uh, you know at an official level after Blue Book to you know the mid 2000s um suggests that there you know there was something going on but uh you know where those files are and what uh, departments were involved we simply don't have have that information
1: i just wonder if they're even organized enough to do that they may just look uh, at a ufo report and say well it's not a threat to national security we'll deal with it later and later I- never arrives I,
3: you know what? I agree with that. I think uh, it's been a hot potato. Nobody seems to know what to do with it. That certainly has been the case in Canada. And this goes back to the point of this whole podcast, that Canada serves as, a, uh, as sort of a template for what is going on in the United States. The Canadian uh, scientific community, the military establishment, really didn't know what to do with UFOs. Um, and in this book by Matthew Hayes that I mentioned, Search for the Unknown, um, he details in great detail looking through all the documents that he was able to find, that uh, the people who were uh, sort of by default in charge of the UFO investigations and research really didn't think much of the whole thing and tr- did as little as possible. Um, so it's it's certainly possible that the, you know the, something analogous was happening in the United States and perhaps continues to happen. But with the push these days for um, you know studies of UAP, when you have U.S. Navy pilots seeing things that they can't explain. Um, And other pilots uh, saying that there were things going on as well. You know, there's a push to try and understand what's going on, and, uh, you know, whether the task force uh, was created to get to the bottom, the real bottom of of what's uh, going on, or just something to placate some politicians, I guess it remains to be seen. We're overdue for a report from that task force. Uh, Maybe actually we're probably overdue for two reports.
1: We've got one more segment of the show, and then we'll do after the PowerCast with Chris and with Kurt. You're in the PowerCast.
8: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNLive.com today.
1: Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire PowerCast experience.
16: airline tickets book a flight today to london paris madrid or anywhere else you want to go and pay a lot less guaranteed call the international travel department right now at low cost airlines
17: 802-341-4535 802-341-4535 802-341-4535 that's 802-341-4535
14: hi this is bryce abel i'm the producer of dark skies the co-author of ad after disclosure and you are listening to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal
1: radio so yes you just brought up something here the pentagon uap task force report came out in june june 25th 2021 that of course being the day after the anniversary of kenneth arnold's sighting there was supposed to be a follow-up report and then the pentagon budget sets up still another ufo group and we hear nothing from that but the question is here why aren't politicians screaming where are our ufo reports or are they just happy that it was set aside
3: well, it's interesting that things have really calmed down. I mean, you look at ufology right now, there's no really big UFO sightings that are making the news. Uh, people seem to be waiting for whatever this report has to say. There's uh, people going on podcasts and vidcasts all the time talking about, you know, something's coming, something really big is coming. Uh, John Greenwald and uh, and others are finding some really interesting uh, documents where they're playing footsie about trying to about to deny that certain documents exist and then some are going to be found and uh, I think John found uh, that, what was it, uh, that Obama's files of something like 10,000 or 12,000 references to UFOs in the Obama papers. I mean, that's amazing. That's, uh, that's incredible when you think about it, but at the same time, it's going to take at least 10 to 15 years uh, to sort through that and, and get them all released. So, it's a real amazing time, but the UFO reports themselves seem to be far and few between now is that mean that ufology is dead no i think it just means that ufology is in an interesting phase now i think people are desperate for more information they're desperate for some facts and and hopefully in the next little while that uh, some facts will be uh, finally coming out we mentioned that that there were
2: shortage of ufo reports but so if someone sees is the lowest quality report, or at least the way it's usually discussed, are lights in the sky. Since those could be aircraft or anything, is that one of the few kind of UFO reports
3: that is not necessary to report? I would say no. I think it's worthwhile reporting lights in the sky. The reason I say that is that a light in the sky is on some object. Now whether it's a balloon or a satellite or an aircraft, the way that uh, some objects uh, are tracked is simply by the appearance of them in the sky. When Sputnik went up in the 50s, people were encouraged to look up in the sky and report the passage of Sputnik overhead. And by getting many, many observations of Sputnik flying overhead, carefully monitoring the time and direction and the brightness and so forth, it was possible to uh, really understand uh, everything from the shape of the the satellite to its mass to its orbit and so forth. So a simple observation of a light in the sky can reveal a great deal. And the more cases you get, the better. In the case of a fireball, for example, or a a meteor, bright uh, meteor, This is very valuable. The American Meteor Society has a page where you can report your meteor or fireball sighting because that's how scientists... And understand and, and track uh, meteors and try and understand the distribution of, of meteors and perhaps there's comets that they're associated with and so forth. So uh, I would say that lights in the sky are worth reporting. Now, in terms of information content, they may not be as spectacular as a dome disc shaped object that lands and, and takes off again and leaves behind marks in the ground. But as part of ufology and part of the study of objects that people are seeing that they don't understand, uh, I, I think it's still very, very valuable to uh, to report such things.
2: There was a question from a listener. Now, we touched touched on this, but he wanted to know, how do you think that extraterrestrial hypothesis
3: as origin of UFOs holds up after 75 years? Well, yeah, 75 years. We still don't have proof that aliens are here. I mean, certainly some contactees would, would dispute that, and uh, I know some people who are really into the uh, UIP thing who, who are convinced that the that they're alien spacecraft because they're not made here on Earth. We've proven it beyond a shadow of a doubt. But the reality is we still don't have enough proof to say that that UFOs or some UFOs are, are alien spacecraft. I mean, there is certainly one explanation, but we don't have the proof. But the ETH itself... Um, does raise some very interesting questions. How did we get here? Well, I, I saw a report today that says that the oceans on Europa, you know, satellite of a satellite of a planet elsewhere in the solar system, are looking more and more promising for having extra, extraterrestrial life. We think that extraterrestrial life is fairly common in our galaxy, but the distances are prohibitive in terms of travel. But it's possible that if, that if there's an advanced civilization out there, that they can bend the laws of physics, not break the laws. Of physics, but bend the laws of physics so that uh, they can travel from one part of the galaxy to the other. So I think the possibility of aliens being out there and and traversing the galaxy, you know, the probability is not zero uh, in any way. They think it's a, a good possibility. I note that the trailer for Avatar is dropping fairly soon the the second avatar movie what's it called the the water world or or the world of water or something uh the movie comes the second movie comes out in in december and it's uh tells the story of advanced civilization on uh the moon uh circling a planet
6: of uh, alpha Centauri.
1: by the way the official title is The Way of Water, Avatar, oh, The Way, the of, way water. of Water, which the is kind of-, of a curious title, but then, look, we've been waiting, what, five, six years for this movie, more? Right, uh, right. And 25 years? Based on the,
3: on the idea that it's possible that there is some life on this uh, moon circling a planet on a star that's not that far away. So, you know, we have all this great speculation out there, and it it allows us to, you know, open our eyes and then try and uh, have this recapture the sense of wonder that we're not alone in the universe, because let's face it, we've made a mess of this place, and uh, we may need
1: some help. And so, therefore, we have a Uhura from Star Trek, the current Uhura, playing the role of, what, a fish woman on another planet? (laughs) Yes. Boy, she gets a wide variety of roles there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and there's a third Uhura, by the way. That's in the new TV series, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It's coming soon. Yeah. Coming soon. When you hear this, it will be here in just a few days, where it features the characters in the original failed pilot for star trek the original series that was captain pike number one played by majel barrett who became of course the mother of counselor troy and the computer voice and mr spock being the same guy by the way we're just about out of time here but chris will be back for after the paracast, but for now if we want to find more of your stuff chris rudkowski where do we go Boy, have I got stuff! Certainly, uh, I'm I'm on
3: Facebook uh, under my name, Chris Rakowski, I have uh, a blog called uh, UFOrum at blogspot.com. The Canadian UFO Survey is at survey.canadianuforeport.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I've got a bunch of books on Amazon, and I have to say that I, according to my publisher, uh, my next book, Canada's UFOs Declassified, is supposed to be out in May. So uh, keep an eye out for that sucker.
1: And of course, you can find us on Twitter if you look for The Paracast. The Paracast can also be found on Facebook, two places, The Paracast and The Paracast fan club Pick your poison or whatever. We also offer branded merchandise at the theparacast.shop. the paracast.shop. We offer four different logos for the paracast. Pick the shirt you want, the cap, the throw pillow, etc. Great merchandise, great prices, the paracast.shop. And don't forget that Chris Rudkowski will be back for After the Paracast, after the paracast is an exclusive feature of the Paracast Plus. Check the Paracast.plus for more and a quick sign-up method. And by the way, we also offer this radio show. Free of the network ads. How about that? For subscribers of the Paracast Plus, we also offer a special deal. Such a deal. Use the coupon code UFO20, that's UFO20, and we'll give you a 20% discount on subscriptions for five years or a lifetime for the Paracast Plus at the Paracast Dot plus the Paracast Dot. Plus. Chris Rutkowski, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the PowerCast. I'm glad to be here.
0: The PowerCast, featuring Gene Steinberg, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible, Incorporated.